Welcome to Transparency with Diana B, a podcast from wealthmanagement.com focused on advisors' personal well-being and healing. In this podcast, we explore some of the deepest struggles and hardships that many advisors face and bring these issues out into the open so that others may find healing. Join us for this journey where we explore ways to overcome the stresses and anxieties as Diana draws from years of expertise and guest experts to manage the personal challenges of advisors. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Transparency with Diana B, a podcast by WealthManagement.com. My name is Diana Britton, and I'm the managing editor of WealthManagement.com. For those of you who are new to the podcast, each episode focuses on a personal development issue facing financial advisors and financial services professionals. Guests join me to talk about their journey dealing with the struggle and how they ultimately found healing. My, my guest today is Sylvia Tergas, a financial planner with Prudential Advisors in Bethesda, Maryland. Sylvia, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having this space and, and this conversation. I appreciate it and happy to be here. So Sylvia is going to talk with us today about her experience as a female Latina in financial services, but also, you know, the challenges that she had to overcome in, in her journey to get where she is today. But Sylvia, I want to go, you know, sort of way back and, and start mm -hmm. by talking about your father's journey when he was younger, you know, because it seems like that really shaped your own path and your life experiences. And I know, you know, your father grew up in, in Cuba and uh, fled during the Castro Revolution. I just wonder, can you tell us a little bit about that? What happened, you know, what was happening in the country and, and how did your father get out? Sure. So yeah, my father was born in Cuba and you're definitely right that the, his, really has shaped uh, a lot in my life and obviously was a foundation of our, our whole family story. And, you know, we'll get to that here. So yeah, my father was born in Cuba. He was the only son to his parents, my grandparents. They lived in Camagüey, which was a, you know, one of the smaller cities, not, not in the capital, you know, rural, rural and you know, agriculture, basically sugarcane farming was uh, big around there. So they were very, a very, very modest mean, my father's family. And he, as the only child in this, you know, in the small town, my grandparents and my father's, you know, family being really of modest means and more in the uh, sort of rural area of Cuba, mm -hmm. not a lot of education systems to say, and my father did talk about this. He wrote about this as well. So I, you know, I know a little bit about it in, in, in some detail from him. So yeah, not a lot of sort of systems, education systems, structure around education for at a young age, but mm -hmm. you know, they lived a, a happy life, you know, certainly with, <laughs> with their own issues, but yeah, sort of simple, simple life is what my father mm -hmm. would say. He called himself, himself a guajiro, <laughs> which for those of us that know that term, it's basically like, you know, like a country person, but more of just like simple in a very nice sort of life's essentials type of way. And so from there, really from one opportunity to the other, my father did end up going to private school for high school. He, this was now into the fifties in Cuba. So mid fifties. Mm. So this was the start at the time where there was already 
unrest, unrest around yeah. correct yeah unrest around Fidel Castro the revolution certainly the the current political environment wasn't great either which you know in some ways so this was all really happening at that vital time for my dad where he was going through high school very dedicated to his studies very dedicated and he had in his light of line of sight to study at the Universidad de Havana University of Havana mm -hmm. and he wanted to study medicine my father wrote about this like I said and, and mentioned it to us as well so that was what he had his sights set on unfortunately between his graduation was really when uh, you know things just sort of heated up from a standpoint of the um, communist revolution and Castro's influence and there were strikes at the university demonstrations so the you know of course Havana being the capital was at the center of, of a lot of this you know there was it was just starting to not become safe and the university was at you know at the center of, of a lot of it mm -hmm. so that restricted his ability not just his ability but really sort of brought you know progress and, and economic and sort of economic opportunity in those particular years and you know a lot of people's plans I mean certainly my father's story is not unique in that anyone that was sort any anyone that sort of had any plans around that time you know as we know now ended up sort of you know going stage left a little bit so that was just all extremely influential my father spent about two to three years after graduating from high school really without opportunity that he had in mind of what he would do you know after being such a dedicated student and having this sort of path ahead of him that he wanted to pursue as far as medicine and and you know going into the, the university for him and, and this family was you know tremendous a tremendous under, undertaking and so that was just really put on pause you know mm. and at this around the same time he sort of came across my father was it's interesting that I'm doing this podcast but my father um, loved radio so he loved like you know radio was kind of like the news of the time right mm, and yeah. even later when we lived all over the world like he would just communicate so anyhow so listening to radio and the news he heard about an opportunity in honduras a school called el samorano which is a well-known school in in honduras mostly around agriculture and development but still there to this day it's beautiful it's a tremendous legacy and the opportunity was to apply uh for scholarships to to have students go and study in Honduras and so my father considered it it wasn't certainly something that he jumped into because again he didn't you know he sort of was still hoping to pursue his uh, you know his dream of, of studying medicine and going to the Universidad de Havana but he speaks about this opportunity one that really got him out of Cuba he saw it at the time as a way out and he my father left Cuba in April of 1959 so mm. from a historical standpoint I mean this is really at the epicenter of yeah. turmoil and everything that was happening and in fact for a lot of people at that time you know especially at his age late teens you know 18 19 he his parents and and just anyone around that age was just being encouraged to if they had an opportunity if there was something that they could do outside of the country you know to go ahead and do that there was also pressure for him to either you know declare again at that time you know he could have 
gone through the you know military or a lot of pressure and influence around are you part of the revolution are you not part of the revolution you know like which side yeah. are you on sort of thing which my father clearly stated he wasn't but yeah. also he, he he just wasn't one to sort of you know say oh you know i'm on this side i'm on the other side he was on the countryside pretty much and and just opportunities for people and and that's what he focused on truly throughout his life so he got the scholarship (laughs) which was great yeah for sure so he he ended up you know getting the scholarship and even then he needed to raise funds for the travel they were going to pay for everything pretty much room and board but he needed to raise money for traveling and so that was you know an ordeal at the time that my you know for for my family for his family and he actually turned it down once you know at one point he turned it down and actually got called from the school to just sort of urge him to reconsider and that he could always come back yeah, so just to provide a little bit of background and history, you know, the the Cuban Revolution was it was an armed uprising in Cuba that overthrew the government of Fulgencio Batista on January first, nineteen fifty nine. So yeah, right right during the time you're you're speaking about the revolution's leader Fidel Castro went on to rule Cuba from nineteen fifty nine to two thousand eight. And so the years of unrest in the country were, you know, characterized by sporadic raids, destruction of property, disruption to the Cuban economy. And the Cuban Revolution unleashed the largest refugee flow to the United States in history, with about 1.4 million people fleeing the island after the government was toppled there. And, you know, as many people know, the you know, it caused a lot of uh, distrust and antagonism between the U.S. and Cuba in those years following. And, you know, I know Obama, you know, sort of helped to thaw some of those relations. But, you know, we'll see what, what happens with the Biden administration here. But, yeah, I mean, so what happened in, in, in the years following after your father got out of Cuba? You know, what happened to you, and your father, I guess, and, and your family? You know, suffice it to say that my father did not go back. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. again, following what you were saying, and, and again, and just so many people's stories right around that time. But, yeah, it's it's sort of this, the door that just opened wide, nice and wide for him for the rest of his life and our life. So in Honduras, you know, Honduras, again, just a beautiful country, also with its, certainly set with its own issues, unfortunately, but, you know, beautiful country, beautiful people. This school, El Samorano, as I mentioned, is you know, renowned. It's a tremendous legacy in Latin America, you know, agriculture ministers that have studied there and, and sort of great leaders in the, in the world of agriculture and, and developing economies. And uh, my father just made his way there, you know, by himself, leaving Cuba, leaving everything behind. You know, once he got there, he realized sort of what was happening. And the other just amazing aspect of this is, you know, he was curious about why why the why, why there was this push of him particularly coming there. He learned that there was only three other Cuban students and really students from all over Latin America. It turns out that almost there was almost a thousand candidates for that for those positions of which less than a hundred were accepted. And Mm -hmm. my father was at the number two spot 
out of all wow. of those students. Yeah. That's incredible. So, and yeah. And it's, so it just kind of speaks to his, again, his dedication and really without reference, without knowing, he just sort of, you know, he's like, okay, well, this is what I have to do. Then let me go do this. Right. And, and really that embracing of opportunities, which is the common thread that really started then or even before and carries through in my family. And certainly to me is this tremendous appreciation for opportunities and what you make of them and it's you know it's it's a beautiful appreciation of of a way to live your life Mm. so yeah so he studied in honduras and met my mom there (laughs) so my Mm. mom is from honduras my mom's family was very connected and very involved with el samorano uncles that that went there you know, form their careers as well. It's a it's a great sort of network uh, of like minded individuals. So he and at that point he learned and he was in school there for about three years in Honduras. And and like I mentioned, he left Cuba. I believe I mentioned my father actually ended up leaving Cuba in April 1959, and then right. spent three years in Honduras at this school. Mm-hmm. And the next door was another opportunity for a scholarship to study at the University of Florida. Mm. So then that then brings us to the U.S. So as soon as my father learned of this, that there were going to be the the top two students from the whole class were going to be offered these particular scholarships or programs of study. I don't recall exactly what it was. And that he, I believe, had the choice between University of Florida and Cornell University, which to my father, this was just like, you know, putting him in another planet, truly, mm. and something yeah. that he could have never even really imagined to be in his future. As things went sort of, you know, south in Cuba, to say, to put it lightly, he was also, you know, apart from his parents, apart from his family, this was really starting to weigh on him personally. You know, he married my mom, you know, my mom, obviously, he didn't have his family there. But yeah, married my mom in Honduras, and he ends up getting the scholarship to come to the U.S. and and that's what he did. <laughs> so and so you you were born in the U.S. right? You were I wasn't oh, okay. So the other part, yeah, the other part from us from you know talk about struggle and opportunity is so then my father finds himself in North Florida in the early '60s as an mm. Afro-Cuban man. Mm. And, you know, now he's in the U.S. in the, you know, early to mid 60s in pretty much the American South, which is what North Florida is considered, you know, not in Miami, not where sort of this Cuban uh, influx was, was, you know, I mean, there was a lot of tensions there as well. But again, here it was more about, you know, his skin color. A very different culture. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So he ends up getting his PhD at the University of Florida. And so, you know, all of this in in the span of a few short years and and again, in terms of opportunity and everything that he did. So his career was really focused on agriculture, agriculture development in Latin America. And so he traveled a lot. He worked in Cal, he's worked in California. He worked in Panama, worked in, in Colombia worked in Ecuador and always with US interests, so always on sort of contract or or with on US interest side. And he applied for his citizenship, you know, soon after graduation and was an American citizen by that time. 
And so we traveled and we grew up in Latin America and South America pretty much my childhood. I was I was born in Ecuador because my father happened to be uh, working there at the time and lived most of my childhood actually in Cali, Colombia. And from the time that I could speak, from the time that I have any awareness, we spoke English and Spanish. I was I went to bilingual schools all my life. I didn't know any different. You know, I we would travel to the U.S. It was just all about exposure, us being able to do the things that my father wasn't able to do and, and probably even didn't even think about it in terms of missing anything or, or, or lacking anything. Just It just wasn't part of the reality at all for him. Yeah. Well, well Sylvia, I wanted, I wanted to, you know, get a chance to talk about your life and, and your experiences. And so how did you sort of, I know all these values that your father instilled in you kind of led you into a career in financial planning. Can you tell us about that journey? How did you, you know, how did you get to the, your career and where you are today? Yeah, so I, I wouldn't say that it led me directly to finance, but it, it led me to have, it led me to the road of exploration about my own interests and, and what mm. I, I truly wanted to, 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 I guess, do or, or learn about or, or live my life around in terms of my career. I'm one of three sisters and we all have very different careers. My younger sister is actually a physician. My older sister is, she's a managing director with, with her, her business, all, th all three, you know, successful in our own realm, but very mm -hmm. different. So, you know, my father and my parents really, they never sort of sat us down and said, you know, you have to do this. You have to study this. You have to study that. They just wanted to make sure that bien, <laughs> that we were mm -hmm. doing well, that we were in school. You know, my father, some of the most time, the times that I can remember that he was sort of the most interested and the most, you know, present and involved was anything to do with, you know, with school and, and how we were doing and what do you like and, you know, where do you want to go sort of thing, but never imposing sort of his own ideas on it. It was just, he just wanted to kind of hear from us know what that was all about it was truly mm. you know it, it it gave him a lot of joy so i went to i went to business school and you know for all these beautiful things and 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 obviously there were some not so beautiful things as well i wasn't all perfect for sure but for all the for all the the values that that i've taken from my father had i really had zero awareness of you know personal finance financial mm -hmm. markets, that there was this thing called the stock market, you know, like none pretty much except not except, but really much until like, you know, I took like an economics course in, in high school and it's like, Oh, what are all these, what are all these things? <laughs> what are they talking about? It yeah. just really was fascinated. I just loved it. I went to business school, but even in business school, and this was the early nineties. So even in business school, I didn't have this sense of like, oh, I can study finance and I can go do this. I just had no, I just was like, you know what? I don't know what I want to do, but I kind of like this. Had a lot of fun in college as well. So I didn't have that sort of like clear picture. In business school, I do remember that there were a couple of what we call, you know, weed out classes. Like everyone was you know, scared of these classes of like, oh my gosh, you're going to not do well and they're crazy, whatever. And yeah. those were pretty much like the accounting classes and the finance class. 
yeah and accounting you know yeah it was not fun but i sort of appreciated the order and the like the the analysis of it like i got it you know mm. and then finance i left till my senior year because you know it was like oh my gosh it's hard blah blah, blah. you know you get all these messages from from your environment and and i left it for my senior year and i loved that class and i loved mm. what i learned and it just opened a whole new world for me. And so personal finance is actually my second career. From from college, I went into, I worked for uh, a major uh, real retailer and mm -hmm. ended up moving up through the ranks through the finance area there, thanks to really great mentors, people that I trusted and and just had a, an took an interest uh, in my development. I remember one position that I was going into, which was sort of the my entryway into the finance world. One of the regional directors, which which knew of me and I knew of her, but I was sort of like, you know, to me, she was this like intimidating, you know, senior manager person. She said she like called me into the office and just sort of sitting very casually, like in the lobby area. She's like, well, tell me why you want to do this job. Like just sat next to me, you know, look me right in the eye. She's like, tell me why you want to do this job. And I told her. And she looked at me and she goes, you're going to have to be tougher. Mm. <laughs> I was like, take it back. Like, mm, what, what is that? So anyway, it was very cool. I still remember that. She's great. I mean, great woman. But it's just interesting. So ended up more being in sort of like a, a corporate finance position. Mm. But the role was sort of a, a liaison role between. So I worked under the CFO sort of in a CFO area department. But I was tasked with a region, and so I had a lot of conversation and dialogue and, and interaction and responsibility, quite honestly, yeah. dealing with sort of you know store managers, senior managers, and this is like you know again large retailer people that, that again to me like oh my gosh like they know everything right I know nothing and these people know everything and you know who am I to tell them anything? Mm -hmm. But I that is the, that's around the time where I started to learn about well what skills do what what are my skills. What do I excel at and what do I love doing? And one of the mentors during that time, and I would get this feedback sort of often is that even though I was dealing with, you know, a lot of number, huge numbers and, you know, spreadsheets upon spreadsheets upon spreadsheets, you know, it would be one of those things where you're in a meeting room and, you know, sort of a board meeting or, or somewhere you just sort of get called on for you know, random numbers or, or, or input, and you just got to have like the answer, right? So they don't care about the million numbers. They care about the two mm. numbers that make sense for whether a decision happens or not. Mm -hmm. And the feedback that I received is that, you know, people just opened up to me. So I, I kind of learned this thing of learning, of hearing people out, uh, of listening mm -hmm. to people's perspectives and understanding sort of where they were coming from. But then at the, you know, at the end of the day, the numbers are the numbers and, you know, how do we make it fit within these, the confines of what we've got going on, which is of course what I do with clients every day with financial yeah, that's planning. that's central uh, to financial sure. planning skills. Yeah. 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 And the other piece of this was of course, now I'm with a major corporation. I have a 401k, you know, I'm going to like every education session. I'm reading like every piece of mail that comes to my house about my 401k. I think it's like this magical thing where I'm contributing money and my company's matching. And I was just like, this is amazing. Mm. 
And, you know, I'd go to like lunch with my friends or coffee. And he was like, let's talk about our 401k. I just had this excitement about it. And people would look at me like mm. I was just nuts. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I don't understand that. I don't even, I'm not in it. It's a waste of money. You can't even get it. I'm like, that's the uh, point. You can't get it. You got, you know, oh my gosh. Uh, and so, I, you know, it's like this total whatever like just fun you know imagine like you're you know, you're going to lunch fun lunch or whatever and you know here i am talking about like our investment options inside our 401k but the thing that that taught me as well as other conversations is how unfortunately unique at least for my circle it was for me to have that passion and interest around that material yeah. and the fact that other people didn't so it was this revelation that here I am, I have something that is essential in my mind, clearly, obviously, you know, to this day for people's futures and decision making and, and, and then really back to my father's legacy of really just being in the, in the driver's seat of, of what they've got going on. Right. It's like, mm -hmm. no, you're not supposed to ignore this. This is important. And it's an opportunity that you have you know, to save and invest and, and uh, take advantage of this match. So it was those two things combined of like, wow, you know, I love this. And wow, other people don't. And they should. Yeah, um, yeah and it they seems like need. a sign. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but even then, you know, I was like, oh, I, I went back to school and got my master's in finance. You know, to me, I thought that the only roles that people did with this sort of thing was like portfolio management, you know, and I had this vision of like, you have to do it in a pinstripe suit in New York, right? Right. And, and like on Wall Street, there was like nothing sort of different than that, that I could think of in my head. Certainly not any women that I was, yeah. oh, I mean, not that there weren't any, but that's not an image at all that came, it was a bunch of ties in the room. Mm -hmm. Like if I was sort of thought, think about like what that career would be. And it's not that it intimidated me, but it just didn't, I just didn't, it, I didn't, it didn't resonate with me. I didn't have any connection to it. Mm. So fast forward, I'm sort of rising in the career there, taking on opportunities and, you know, climbing the, the corporate ladder as you do. And then something that struck me, and then of course, this is now 2008. <laughs> mm. So talk about, you know, historical events sort of having these effects, which of course they do for all of us. But mm -hmm. yeah, so in 2008, we've got this, you know, tremendous event that impacts a lot of people, people's retirements, you hear these horror stories. And, you know, here I have this academic knowledge about asset allocation and time horizons and you know, all these academic things that I held to be true that were tools and, you know, and it's like, oh no, they, they lost all this money because they, you know, people were either too aggressively invested or, or worse, didn't understand what they were invested. And in. I thought this was just, I mean, it is, it's tragic. It's that aspect of it to me. Certainly there was a lot that people were not able to control as we know. But to the extent that people did have advisors or had portfolios or had investments, you know, there were some people that, that at least sort of made adjustments and, and other people didn't. And to me, it was like, well, I mean, I don't know. You can't make judgments on what people did and didn't do. But the moral of that story is, you know, it just had this disconnect between how can I have all this knowledge? 
Like, how can I sort of study these things and, and know them and, and then just keep them and not share them? And the other aspect that came up around that time was just my, I think, entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial spirit started to awaken within mm. the corporate corporate environment, meaning that I just felt this sense of like, okay, I'm no longer that excited about like the promotion, right? It's, I, mm. you know, where do we go from? Where do I go from here? Yeah. And what I, the term that I use for that around the time and even now is that I had a sense that I wanted to own my skill. I wanted to own my own development, you know, be truly responsible for what I did with my talents uh, mm -hmm. and who I did them with or who I shared them with, I guess. And it all, all roads pointed to, you know, financial planning. I attended mm -hmm. a, a financial planning conference around that time. I actually took my dad. <laughs> <laughs> He was fascinated, you know. I make a joke that you know, my, I think till the day that he, my dad passed away, you know, he really didn't know the difference between a stock and a bond pretty much. But he was just, you know, he just, he loved it. I loved it so much. <laughs> and that was yeah. it. That was it. That's it for all of us. When you talk to any of us, it's like, no, he can't talk to you about what we do, but he loves that we love it and that we're, so yeah, so lots of little sort of twists and turns. I, I relocated and at that time just took a leap of faith and said, mm -hmm. you know what, this is the time I had I had saved, right? The mm -hmm. financial planner in me, right? I had, I had saved um, some money. Obviously there was the, the turmoil from the 2008 debacle and actually my position, you know, I was at a crossroads with the company in terms of whether I wanted to stay or relocate to New York with the organization. Uh, and explore options there. Plenty of people did. But again, I just didn't want that decision to be made for me. And I felt like yeah. just, I'm not comfortable with this, you know? So anyhow, so I relocated, took that leap of faith, and then just sought out sort of, how do I do this? How does, how do people become financial planners? Like, how does this happen? I attended conferences, I spoke to people, great conversations. And I ended up at a boutique financial planning firm for about a year and a half. I did have in mind that I did want to do financial planning. I wanted to comp uh, focus on a comprehensive basis. I didn't want to purely work with investment analysis. And that I, I, it was very important that I work directly with clients. And so I knew that I had the academic knowledge, but what I didn't have was the, the experience of just sitting across the table from a client. And, you know, every client is a universe. I can... I can sit here and, and, and talk about what's quote unquote, you know, right for them to do. But at the end of the day, how does it work for them? And the right way to approach something is not my way or their way. It's sort of me shedding light on what the options are, what the risks are, what avenues match up with the client's goals, concerns. And then truly, I think, I believe in my in my, my philosophy with financial planning is that I think that the solutions sort of appear through the exploration of the individual, the resources, and then sort of just match those up against, you know, what's out there in terms of, of financial tools. Yeah. So I did have in mind that I wanted to, you know, work with financial planning and needed that experience of like, you know, client facing experience. So I started at a small financial planning firm that gave me the opportunity. They supported my licensing. 
And I was there for about a year and a half. You know, I, I, I appreciate them for what they did for me, mm. which was get me from the ground to the second or third floor, pretty much. And I, I needed help with that. Mm -hmm. And however, it was not a fit culturally whatsoever. And for a while, I just thought it was kind of like, that's the way it was. I didn't, I was like, okay, well, this is just how I'm going to feel being a financial planner because, you know, all these people, I don't know. I just, I thought it was, I didn't see it as, as, uh, I just thought I just had to like figure it out. You know what I mean? I'm like, yeah, of course I feel uncomfortable. Everyone's different than me mm -hmm. culturally, you know, it's, I'm sort of like, putting on the face a lot of the days yeah. with people. I was very passionate about working in the Hispanic community. I was very involved with the uh, Hispanic Chamber of Commerce and just, so it was looking at the, the budding of me really taking my differences, I guess, and just sort of having them out there of like, this is what makes, this is who I am. Yeah. But because of the career change, I just thought that me feeling that way was normal and that it was just something that mm -hmm. I had to work through until mm -hmm. it was just suffocating. I felt like I was just not, I'm like, I can't do this because I can't shine. I can't be me. I can't, I'm, I can't even, you know, use my full voice. Um, and that is what led me to, to the opportunity with Prudential Advisors. I was actually in, introduced by the executive director of the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce introduced me to a hiring manager with Prudential Advisors, which was very dedicated with the organization and, you know, sort of was wanting to round out his team with, you know, women, a uh, very diverse team. And I kind of went a little bit kicking and screaming, but I did. And next year I will celebrate my decade anniversary. <laughs> With Congratulations. Advisors, thank you, organization. And, uh, it, it, and it's just been a journey of me learning to be me and me embracing myself and the moments of discomfort and kind of working through them. But then also never losing sight of my community, of my talents mm -hmm. and my particular and using, you know, my cultural competency is an asset. It has Absolutely. shaped my practice in what I do. I'm very involved with financial education in the Hispanic community. I get into a lot of personal conversation with families and, and it just gives me the greatest joy. I mean, certainly I have a, a very diverse practice. You know, I have clients really from all backgrounds, uh, a financial, financial planning based practice, um, also manage investments, but my, yeah, my, my, my brand, I guess, if you will, is, Sylvia Turgis, financial planner, you know, bilingual, Latina, all of it, all of it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, well, I we're, we're just about out of time, Sylvia. I, I wish, you know, we could talk about this all day, but I think just the point that you're making here about really embracing your differences and, and, and putting, you know, what defines you and who you are and putting that at the forefront, you know, that that's that's what financial planning you know, should be about and, and, you know, because those are the most genuine people and, and the, the people that are going to, you know, just be able to, to relate to, to other people, I guess. And so I, I, you know, I really applaud you for that. And, and thank you so much for, for being on the podcast and, and just opening up about, about your life experiences. Thank you so much. Thank you, Diana. Really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you.
And so if you'd like to reach out to Sylvia Tergus or you have questions for her, you can reach her at sylvia.tergus at prudential.com. And we'll put this information in the, in the show notes below as well. If you yourself have a struggle and you wish to share your experiences and help others in similar situations, please feel free to reach out to me at transparencywithdianab at gmail.com. I'd like to thank you for listening to Transparency with Diana B. If you've not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This is Diana Britton reminding you that where there's healing, there is hope. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Transparency with Diana B podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of wealthmanagement.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice. Always seek the advice of your healthcare provider with any questions you have regarding your particular situation.